0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Liveline. 51551 is our text. We're back to the whole apprenticeship uh, issue, and that uh, story yesterday from Michael is apprenticeship uh, should take four years with on the job training and obviously. Uh, off the job in on a in a training course or a, a technical establishment should take four years, but because of the delays in the technical establishments and due to the lack of trainers, it seems it will now take more than six years for him to complete his apprenticeship. And as he said very eloquently yesterday, a lot of people are just quitting, and the delay seems to be at uh, stage four. We've asked for someone from Sullis to come on. Uh, but they seem to have more paper than people there, so they're just sending us in non-stop statements. Terry Coleman, Terry, good afternoon. Terry, come in to me. Are you there, Terry? Oh, Santa Terry, he was there. Yes, sounds like he's in a, a tumbler dryer. Um, Terry, Sullis, in the Sullis statement, they say, as, as we've heard so many times, um, the number of apprentices, apprenticeships has increased. The number of um, there's no no talk about the number of trainers. They keep telling us about stage uh, stage two. Uh, that backlog is uh, being cleared, but the problem is stage four. And uh, Terry was pointing out was he's a he's a qualified uh, builder for many many years. He said he looked at the the specification for a job as a trainer in Sullis, which is what they need badly. And he said it is just. Um, they are looking for apprenticeships uh, instructors, but you have to run, design, and be responsible for tools and materials, etc. Required to work after hours with no remuneration at all. And he said the the fee, the the starting salaries between forty and seventy for an experienced uh, craftsman or craftswoman or professional on a building site to give up that work and become an instructor with Sullis is just simply not worth it. And you have to do exam, you have to uh, correct exams, you have to check for, I went through the list there earlier, um, you have to look after punctuality, you have to look after behaviour of the apprentices, prepare lesson plans, course notes, handouts, schedule, conduct, correct and mark assessments, prepare and issue progress reports to the employer, supervise apprentices, ensure that correct workplace practice methods, quality standards, safety procedures are followed, supervise apprentices and their timekeeping, attendance, behaviour and general application to the course, raise requests for the purchase and supply of course materials and non- I thought they'd be supplied anyway, non-capital tools and equipment and manage usage as appropriate and just in case they left out anything in Sullis, they throw in, perform any other duties deemed necessary and are required in keeping with the requirements of the instructor role. That seems to me now. Uh, to be an incredible ask and the starting salary is 44,000 euro and you're allowed 25 days annual leave Terry is is, uh, gone unfortunately Uh, hopefully we'll get him back in a few seconds Paul O'Sullivan Paul why did you contact us please Hi Joe Um, just uh, thank you for airing my grievance of want a better word Um, the mother and baby homes redress scheme yeah um, it's up and running now, uh, and yeah. being signed off on by the government and signed off on by the, the political parties. And from March twentieth, you can you can apply for a redress if you are were born or you gave birth in a mother and baby home. Yeah. <coughs> Problem. Um, I was born in Shanross Abbey in nineteen sixty three. Okay. My mother was in there, and um, I was I was eleven days inside there, 
and someone in their wisdom has decided that my experience isn't isn't an, on the hierarchy of suffering enough. So I, you have to be in there for, for up to after 180 days. At least you have to have been in there at least. for at least 180 days. Now yes. that that was dealt with on this program. It was great upset about it. Great upset uh, here and elsewhere. But there was no there was no budging on the part of the department. I understand that, but what I'd like to do is, uh, through your show, um, th- that was put through, it was put through by politicians originally. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like someone from the politician themselves or the, someone from the department to come on and explain their reasoning that someone who was in there 179 days and then was adopted or left yeah. isn't the same as someone who was in there one day later. That's um, all I'm asking for. Just like, where, where, what reasoning did they come into? Because my whole life has been affected by me, my being born in there. Through it's later on in life. I, I'm, I'm in my sixties now. I found out about my history later in life, and when I put it all together, it all made sense. If you understand what I mean, mm-hmm. the doors that I, the the, the comments and the um, different stuff that happened in my life, my family, how it affected me being born in there. If you understand what I mean. I'm just going back to news reports at the time, uh, Paul, when, when Roger Kirkorman, the minister in charge of this, was dealing dealing with the... He said um, that the... Well, the, the bill was called in the doll, uh, morally obnoxious, callous, because it excluded people like you, less than 180 days provable in the institution. Um, but... He said once the scheme, the minister said once the scheme opens, which is 21 days from now, uh, the, the, the process, we will process all applications, obviously except those who are there like you, Paul, for less than 180 days, as quickly as possible. But the first payments expected to be made in quarter two of this year and uh, applications from older people will be uh, prioritised. Uh, he doesn't say, though apparently um, 24,000 survivors are excluded from the scheme. I presume yeah. it was a financial decision, Paul. I I'd say a hundred percent, sure, hundred percent. But I'd like, I'd like, if that was passed in the door, maybe I'm reading this wrong. Um, did someone have to? Was there a vote taken on that? Yes, there was. Yeah, and the government won. Yes, the government won the vote. Sure. So basically, yeah. I'd like someone who voted tall, who pressed the button tall in the in the in the, in the dial, to basically explain why they voted tall. Yeah, you have two chances. I understand that, but, yeah, but, no, but, but that sounds but, very. But you know, the line would be: we've moved on. The decision was made. Yeah, there had to be some. There had to be some cut out de- cut off date, and that was they picked 180 days, um, and and that was it. We had to pick something, but like they, but they you could, yeah. but, but Paul, you cannot say either. Well, I don't have to listen to this program, but they would hear about it. Um, but you cannot say they they were unaware. The government were unaware of the upset they caused by this 180-day rule. What is your own story, Paul, please, insofar as you know? My own, my own story, as far as I know, is my mother um, was a married woman who basically came back from England, separated from her husband, and I ended up being born in Shanross Abbey. Okay. And it was, it was in my 40s. I, figure, I, I got through smidgens of information because my late mother and my late father never... They never discussed with me. All I can remember is that at school times, as I rose up to class in school, that there was always friction at the new term because okay. obviously I'd have to, there was probably forms to be filled in and letters to be signed. 
and I was I my history was um I could never understand as a child as I was running around the streets of the city centre Cork where I was where I was growing up with my grandmother, um that why was why was I sent to a different school than all my mates on the streets. Okay. They were all to national school. I was sent to a private school, mm-hmm. a fee paying school, and I think I figured out uh, through my life experience that the fee paying school didn't ask as many questions. If you understand what I mean. Yeah, again, that, I, I, that, that, you know, again, again, that's what my my reading of mm. it and um, things like um, and can I, 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 I yeah. Yeah, yeah, as you say, the six months and 180 days. By the way, it passed yeah. relatively. It was a relatively tight vote in the doll, Paul. It was uh, 73, 73 to sixty-two, uh, which is eleven. So if five TDs had gone the other way, or six, it would have, yeah. it would have passed. But they say six months was the cut-off point. Can can they prove, or do you have to prove? Do you have to prove yeah. you're there longer than six months or do they have to prove that you were there under six months? Where well, does the burden of proof yeah. fall? Well, yeah, this is the next thing now. The, the record I have is the record that Tusla, when the, when, the, when the poems closed down, Tusla inherited the poison chalice, for want of a better word. Yeah. They, they inherited the, um, the records. Yeah. And I saw my own record in Nina, because Nina Hospital have the records for Shan Ross Abbey. Okay. And... I wasn't allowed, my wife wasn't allowed to come in with me, I wasn't allowed to bring a phone in, no photographs, nothing, and I saw my record of my day, and I, I asked for Tusla then to send on my, any records they have, and I passed them on to your researchers there a while ago, and I, I have records that Tusla gave me, but there's a, a disclaimer in the middle of it that says, these are the records that Tusla received from the institutions, okay. uh, we, cannot verif- we cannot verify the accuracy of these of these, so that so basically, they can say I was in there eleven days, but they're they're leaving a loophole to say that they can't stand over that. So oh, you know how long I was in there. So you could have been there for longer than six months. I could have been like, exactly because it's only yeah. all word of mouth here. Say I was told nothing. It was it was in my forties. I started getting a wrinkle of what happened to me. You know, it was, yeah. it, was, it, was it was it was a hidden secret. It was a, like it was a secret. People knew my history that I didn't know. You know? See, generally, gen- generally at the time, the, the, the response was, and I, I remember reading something by a senior counsel saying that the government had failed to give any logical explanation as to why they brought in the six-month rule because that eliminated something like 24,000, 34,000 therefore are uh, eligible, but, but 24,000 aren't. Yeah, it's obviously monetary. Obviously, they, they decided to pick, pick a figure. But, you know, from from the experience of the last, surely to God they've learned, or probably they haven't learned a lesson that these things have a habit of biting them in the ass, if you understand what I mean. You know, they, every mm-hmm. scandal that ever they did it started off about money. And the next thing, the, the, the things like even the, the women survivors up in the laundries who didn't get medical cards, they basically had a greatest think about it, if you understand what I mean, you know. And, yeah. and so, in other words, like, I'm not, I'm not one of these nodding dogs in the back of the car at all, if I have to make recruptions and make, I want someone to stand in front of me and tell me why they voted no. Well, Paul, could you yeah. apply anyway and let them try? Yes, I'm going to apply. Good man. I'm going to apply, Good yes. man. Good I'm man. I'm going to apply. Oh, yes, I'm going to. I'm like a dog with a bone now, Joe. I'm like a dog with a bone. So what would you say when it? you get in front of the board? I'll, ask, I'll say to them that, first of all, the let the, the the actual let the the, the the actual things that I have are not worth the paper they're written on. 
particularly if they if they're saying they're, they're denying that they, they, they can't stand over the authenticity of them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and, and there's no yeah. one there's no one there's no one alive in authority in 1963 in Shan Ross Abbey that can say oh I remember him. You know what I mean? I remember Shan Ross Abbey, and I'm going back to the. Yeah. The Gay Bourne Show, I think, in 1992, when I walked up to the National Archives that fateful morning and I met Katrina Crow because there'd been something in the papers about children. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, it was, a, it was a taxi man who was interviewed by Gay who said yeah. he used to drive children to Dublin Airport. And actually, a lot yeah. of them were from Sean Ross Abbey, as you know, and they were sent to yeah. America to American yeah. families and I met Katrina Crow who I, who I knew at that stage and Katrina being the brilliant archivist that she's brought me in and said yet yeah, the files have just come over from the Department of Foreign Affairs and here's the information uh, the government colluded in uh, allowing uh, places like Shan Ross Abbey sell babies sell babies to the to American uh, Catholic of course uh, Catholic families and what they used to do is the babies will be brought to Dublin and either an air hostess, an Aer Lingus air hostess, um, was asked to bring the child and the child will be collected in JFK or uh, whatever else the, 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 whatever else they were sent to in America. It's the most bizarre. And I think at one stage, Sister, give me your name, Paul. I'm going off the back of my head. Now, Sister Hennessy, I think it might have been. It began with a H anyway. Sister H said that the majority of income from Sean Ross came from selling these babies. She didn't use that word. Selling these babies to America. Dr. Sharon Labbert is a UCC. Sharon, joe at rt.ie, 51551. Sharon, you're a psychologist. Uh, you're a lecturer as well, I suspect. Have you any idea why they imposed this? Because of all the reading I've done about this over since it was done, I haven't come across a good reason why six months was. If you're there, six months or less, good luck. You can't even apply for this scheme. Sharon, have you any idea why? Hi, John, and hi to Paul. I suppose the reason why I ran in is the questions that Paul has, you know, that he has asked this morning yeah. are questions I asked at the time when this okay. was released. And I did go and I looked at it myself, and one of the things that struck me was I don't believe that there was psychological or psychiatric input into that report. Okay. Because if there was, a psychologist would say that the first 1,000 days of a child's life is... is the most important. Okay. Um, and that includes those first 180 days. And the reason why I rang in is because Paul has eloquently described mm-hmm. how his experiences have had an impact throughout his whole life. And you can't say that somebody at 190 days has had less or more. Everybody's impacted differently by different experiences. And I've been contacted a lot over the years um, people who, who are, have been in, situ, in the same situation as Paul. Some have been there for a short time, some for a long time. All of them mm-hmm. had impact uh, throughout their lives. So I think it is a very fair question. Uh, why was that cut-off made? What science is it aligned with? Because I can tell you it's not aligned with psychological science. Okay. And therefore, if it is a financial reason, people should be really honest about that. Mm-hmm. Because you can hear from Paul that this process ha- has actually caused Paul more hurt yeah. because it's not yeah. being transparent and giving the answers to the questions that he's asking. And they are very fair questions. And because, uh, well, Paul is going to try and try and uh, disprove their, their theory or their, their paperwork. 
um, insofar as it is conclusive, which obviously from what Paul says is not. But a child resident for 180 days, if, if, if 180 days or more, the initial payment uh, for that child for 180 days will be 12,500. Hardly, hardly a, a, a lotto winning. A child resident for 179 days or less receives, receives zero. Now, would it really break the bank? And I know, Paul, sorry, Paul, do not, do not hear this. Uh, this is not the way I'm saying it. It wouldn't break the bank to give Paul O'Sullivan 12,500. No, that's not what he's... The, the, his point is now on, on principle. I understand that. But uh, would it break the Irish economy that when we gave 800 million last week to uh, projects on the island? Would it break the well, Irish economy well, that the likes of Paul were to get 12,500 because he spent... Six months in Sean Ross. But one of the most frustrating things, Joe, is when you speak to Paul and, and others like Paul, is actually it's never about money. Now, I know it's that. about I just know having that. the heart that. acknowledged. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, but, but what they have, it appears to have done, is that they have made a financial decision, which makes it look like then that this is about money for people who, who are raising the issue. When actually it isn't, what they want is that you, you acknowledge that that period of time that was spent there Mm-hmm. Had, a, had an impact and there was an old-fashioned view a long time ago that you know very small children infants and forget, babies yeah. were, were, we had that they forget or that they're not impacted by anything that's going on around them we know that that's not true anymore and in fact you have a whole branch of psychology called infant mental health because okay. we know that very small babies and children are impacted by things that go on around them and you know Paul has talked about the kind of the legacy the secrets of of that time and how those secrets throughout his childhood, knowing there was something wrong, but not knowing the story, and how that also continued to impact him. So clearly, Paul has very clearly demonstrated that it didn't matter what the length of time was. Mm-hmm. It was the experience, and what happened as a result of that experience is the okay. thing that has had the impact. And at every turn, when the state has dealt with this situation, they have hurt people. Every single time they have done mm-hmm. something in relation to this, they have caused hurt to people. And Paul, if you, if well, I know you're determined to go before this redress board and argue and argue your point um, strongly, but if they say to you, Paul, well, Paul, do you remember anything about being in Sean Ross? How can you answer that? No. Now, I know I take Sharon's point. Yeah. Sharon is saying that's not what it's about. Isn't that correct, Sharon? Yeah. But if Paul, if they did say that to you, Paul. Um, I'd ask, I'd answer, first of all, Joe, I wouldn't be going in there telling them lies anyway, for a start. I'd Good say, man. no, I, I didn't. But the next thing I would say is that when I saw the movie Philomena, yeah. I and my wife, and what if I this, I nearly got, I, I, I collapsed. And I, I collapsed. I couldn't, to this day, I still can't watch it. Particularly if I was at a glass of wine, whatever, I'd get very, very emotional. I'd get very bad. I couldn't, I couldn't mm-hmm. have to do with it because the only reason that, that I maintained that I got, didn't want and sold to America was that I, my mother was actually a married woman, but she was yeah, separated, yeah. if you understand what I mean. Yeah, course, so she yeah. had different rights than an unmarried wo- woman, you know. That's what I think. But, but on, yeah. it says on my record, says illegitimate. It says illegitimate, but then how could that be if my mother was married? You know, like, see, there's so many inconsistencies, Joe, yeah. and there's so many, there's so many lines. And, and again, as the, the, the lady from UCC put it herself very eloquently as well, um, that's, that it's, it's the heart. It's, it's not the fact of, it's irrelevant if it was a euro. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But I want I want an answer, and I want someone to stand in front of me and tell me why they did this and why why are they waiting for us to die or what? You know, you know I I don't know. But I, what what I will say is that 
I'm like a dog with a bone now, and someone's going to give me an answer. Someone's going to give me an answer. I can tell say to you. If it's now, next year, I'll take it to the grave if I have to. I'm not putting up with it. They've done it. They've done it to too many people in this country. They've tried it with people. I, uh, you could list the names down, they've done it to Joe. Mm-hmm. They're not doing it to me. And I mean that. I mean it. I'll, I'll stand in front and down-face them. I'll down-face them. I'll down-face them, and I'll shame them. I'll name and shame them. If I have to stand in front of every TD's office in Cork City, I'll do it. But they won't, be, they won't get the better of me. Now they say the scheme, you see I hate even bringing up these figures, mothers who resided in the mother baby home for less than three months are eligible for 5,000 while at the other end mothers who spent more than 10 years in a mother and baby home will be entitled to a payment of 65 but as you say this 65,000, but as you say this six month rule, this qualification rule applies only to the children. And they say mother, this, the, mother, the mother is one night. One had to be over over one night inside the mother. Yeah, so from yeah. my reading of it. And they say that this will cost eight hundred million now. Um, well, how much will that be on legal fees? Now you're talking again. Who again? You see, the thing is, I'd like someone. That's what I'm saying. Just someone to explain to me the reasoning why there is no, there is no, there is no moral or legal or. Okay. Commonsensical reason for and, what they did. Well, and Sharon, I, you know. say what it's possible. Sharon, 5151 text. Sharon, in your studying of it, and it did get very complicated at one stage, did you, did you hear any coherent reason, apart from money, as to why children who were there less than six months were disqualified? I, I think, I remember somebody saying that there was less of an impact, you know, which goes back to your question that you don't remember. But the remembering doesn't matter because you don't have to remember for there to have been an impact. Yeah, and of course. And it's not just the period, and yeah, it's not just the period that, yeah. of time that you spent there. And if you were only there for a week, but if that week has had a, a consequence later on in life, mm-hmm. which Paul has described, you know, when he described about being aware of tension in the house around, you know, when, when there was a new term, noticing that he went to a different school. So the period of time that Paul spent yeah. in, in one of those institutions meant that for the rest of his childhood, there were things that felt different to Paul. So he knew there was something different or wrong. So that's why, you know, assuming that just because you don't remember that it doesn't have an impact. uh, And anyone, you know, who who had studied developmental psychology would be able to speak to that. And that's what my query would have been, is is you're, you're making a financial payment, which is based on giving mm. redress for some kind of harm. Therefore, what psychological input did they get yeah, okay. that decided that somebody under the age of six months oh, did not experience a consequence or harm? Because Paul and lots of other people like Paul have described this experience before. And Paul said a very good point there. He said, are they waiting for us to be dead? Paul is not the only person who's been through this who has said that publicly either because they have felt that every time they've asked questions, they get fobbed off and they feel like they're waiting for them to be gone. Um, so the state really was responsible for what happened and it is responsible for restoring some mm-hmm. kind of, you know, you can never undo what was done, but you could at least make sure that you try to, to undone, undo some of the harm by not also yeah. continuing to perpetrate trauma. Yeah. And and that's what's happening is a continuing perpetration that of is, trauma yeah, yeah. by forcing people to ask questions 
and that it absolutely deserves to be answered and are very easy to answer. Just answer the questions that were asked and answer them in an honest and meaningful way. I think that's the... Um from where I'm sitting, Sharon, that's the killer, the killer punch in that you're saying it's not the it's not the money we're talking about. It's the fact it's the psychological and, and it's, it's a psychological impact on, as Paul has so eloquently uh, elucidated, that once again, once again, you're being treated unfairly by the state or the agents of the state. Say with us, we'll be back after this break. Joe at RT.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Miriam, you're listening to Paul O'Sullivan. In 21 days, the new redress scheme for, for primarily, it seems now, for mothers who were in mother and baby homes, but also we were told for the children, but the children who were there less than... Uh, six months or less are, dis- are uh, disqualified from even applying. Miriam, uh, you were three months in Castle Pollard. Yes, I was. And then I was moved to Foynes for a further three months under the care of the nuns that looked after me in Castle Pollard. OK. Um, and you were there as a George, child? I was there. As a, well, I was there for, until October. I was born March and I was there until October. OK. But Joe, um, first of all, uh, there's a lot of people that have been in mother and baby homes that are suffering with ill health through to the fact that they were fed uh, at, at a week old with porridge and a lot yeah. of people have health issues yeah. and may I also say at 56 years of age that the trauma of being adopted whether it has been a good adoption or a bad adoption mm-hmm. and thankfully for me it has been a wonderful adoption Great. but that trauma of, lives with me every day and that biological stranger within me still seeks to know who I am mm. And the other sad thing I have to say about the redress, I watched it live uh, when it was on in the doll during lockdown. There are a lot of women who, uh, through shame, will not apply for the redress. Hundreds of women. I could name 50 of them off the top of my head through my experience in the Castle Pollard group. And they won't apply for the redress screens and their children won't get anything either. Why won't they apply, Miriam? Because of the shame of having children. There's so many women in Ireland today who are living with the secret of having had a baby in the 60s and 70s. And it's such a sad, sad story, Joe, because, like, I know having connected with my mother, Mm. she doesn't acknowledge me, and I have many friends from the Castle Pollard group that's mother will not acknowledge that they were born. So there are hundreds out there that are not going to apply for the redress, which is very sad. And there are a lot of people that have died since 2020. One mother I remember who was in Castle Pollard and was living for her few bob, as she'd call it, has died. So her family are entitled to nothing. So the whole thing is very, very sad. And remember, Miriam, it seems that some of the configuration about the six-month cut-off for children is the cost. And the government at the time said, Roger Gorman said, 34,000 women would be eligible. But uh, from what what you're saying is 34,000 may be eligible, but they, they all won't apply. Absolutely not, Joe. I can guarantee you that there are women living, maybe your next-door neighbour, women beside you, who have had children and cannot acknowledge it. There's a lot of them that won't be applying for the redress because yeah. it's bringing up hurt and it's bringing, they haven't dealt with the past. And that's what I'm always saying. It's so important that we talk to our mothers and say, Mom, is there any hope that you would have had a baby? Because there are people out there suffering with and there's this. No, there's no shame in it, Miriam. 
now there isn't, no, mm. there's no shame. And there never, there never should have been. Never, well, that's, I know that, Joe, because every person is here for a reason. I know, I know. But, and I brought a lot of joy to my parents. Of course. But it's just the women out there, they have no support, they're living with secrets, and yeah. that's the sad reality of it. Stay with us, Miriam. Margaret Beer is in Dublin. Margaret, good afternoon. Hi there, Joe. How are you? Good, Margaret. Go ahead. Yeah, well, uh, by coincidence, I'm adopted, but that's not actually why I rang. Okay. You were talking about the, the de facto adoptions to the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my mum, my adoptive, my beloved adoptive mum was a hairdresser. Okay. And every six weeks, the matron would come in to get her colour and perm done. Mm. because she was going to the United States with three babies mm. and her assistants also had three babies. And that was every six weeks. And my mum was just one hairdresser in Dublin. And where were they coming from? The Navan Road? Where were they? Does she know? I don't, I, to be, okay. No, I honestly don't okay. know. But the, ma- and, and the matron I, would get I the hair done on, to accompany the, the children. Ma- yeah. The matron would get the hair done every six weeks with my mum. Yeah. And because she was going to the States, it was quite a normal thing to do. Well, sorry, normal is awful word to use, yeah. but it, it was the done thing. Yeah, yeah. And every six weeks, now it, it, they could have been from all over the country, I don't yeah, know. Course, yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, three babies every six weeks, sorry, six babies because she had her assistant nurse. And the air hostesses only helped. They, they were never yeah. asked to bring okay, the babies. Okay. I'm just correcting that. No, that's, that's, that's a good uh, point. And also that. Well, the air hostesses would, would any 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 baby that's brought onto a plane. After the air, the sake, air crew are brilliant. They're always brilliant. Yeah, but they had three, and as I said, Mummy was just one hairdresser in Dublin, and uh, it's, it's six babies every six weeks. And I'm going back to the fifties now. I was born in fifty three, yeah, yeah. and was adopted in fifty five. So it, it's just coincidence I'm adopted too. But and that's not what I'm on about. I'm yeah. just it just correcting the okay. the misapprehension that these babies were handed to an air hostess. Well, and I'm was, not saying it was any kinder. Yeah, but the, but, but there was two thousand children apparently. Two thousand children were. Uh, well, what's the word? Traffic is probably I don't Trans- know, it's, it's from Ireland to the states between know. the forties and yeah. the seventies. Wow, two thousand. Actually, it's I would have thought more, Joe. I, well, I don't know whether they were sold or not. Now, again, yeah, okay, Catholic okay. homes were, were paramount. Yeah. yeah, of course. It yeah. didn't matter what else you were, you know, but uh, it had to be Catholic homes. Oh, and it was, was all so, done through remember the church. John, John Charles McQuaid was running. <gasps> we won't talk about him. Yeah, but he was running and he insisted. He and he, he didn't, he didn't, he, he didn't see the moat in his eye when he said that... Um, once they're going to once they're going to Catholic families, you didn't say, "Hang That's on, right. why are they going to? Why are they being sent to America? Why are they being sent mm-hmm. to America?" Paul, you you mentioned that earlier um, about America, yeah. but and and watching Philomena, which is about the child being sent to America, and Philomena eventually finding with a journalist finding, which is based on a true story, uh, finding the, going to Shan Ross Abbey and being given the runaround. And um, then going to America and finding her son, but at that stage he had, he had passed away. Um, why? Why do you find it so unbearable, unbearably unwatchable? Um, I'd say the word Joe would be frustration. Um, that's the only way I can describe it. Is that the the your, the state, the, the 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 power of the state and the power of the church of the time 
mm-hmm. um, basically it was the helplessness of the situation and for want of a better word in the movie the the, mm-hmm. the the indoctrination of the of Philomena herself who 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 was actually still still in awe of the the, the facility and the mm-hmm. nuns in other words wasn't their fault it was a, it was a combination of faults Joe and and it was the and frustration Joe, I think you know yeah. that's the word I can that's the only word I can I, I wouldn't be a wordsmith as such but the the, the word would be fr- the frustration of it that it was like trying to stop the tide that you couldn't stop, if you understand what I mean. It was yeah. it was just the the wheels were in motion, if you understand what I mean. And and there yeah. was it was the matter of fact way it was done and without even thinking of people's feelings or what were the, the consequences down the line of it. And that's what really got to me was that you know Sorry, Joe. Mar- is that Miriam or Margaret? Mar- no, Margaret. It's Margaret. Yeah. yeah no, I just because, as I said, I am adopted by coincidence. But and as I said, I was almost I was over two when I was adopted, and um, but I, I have since got all my details from the adoption board, mm-hmm. and in all reference to me, I'm described as it. Yes. It. Oh, How long did you live there? Paul. It. Paul. Well, sorry. Sorry, Paul. I, I, I just yeah. wanted to make that point. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Joe, yeah, there was no yeah. psychological yeah. assessments done. Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. Oh, we're going uh, back to 1955 now. Yeah. I um, mean, psychological assessment was, was... You might as well have been coming from Mars to say something Yeah, like you that. just picked a baby out as if it was a doll you were buying. You could pick a well, blue-eyed or a brown-eyed or... No, can I just tell you, that, and I won't keep you too long because I know it's, it's an, just how it happened with me. As I said, mummy was, my mum was a hairdresser. One of her stylists, her sister was in, an, in, in Castle Blaney in a, in, a north, in a county home. Mm-hmm. And she says, there's a little girl, a wee girl here. And her mother won't be let out unless she's adopted. And my mum and dad drove <laughs> up to Monaghan the next day and brought me back to Rialto. And it was, I was seven before I was actually legally adopted. It was that casual. Yeah. All right, all right. Well, we um, now, having said that, I, I know, but I've had a wonderful life, by the way. I don't want to... Yeah, that's, you, I, you know, that's a given. Yeah, I hear, I'm sorry, that's, I, I hear, sorry, I heard you saying that earlier, so that's... Yeah, that's, yeah, that's so, so listen, record, I won't put it yeah. across again. No, I just wanted fine. to put that on the record. Yeah, OK, you know? OK, OK. It's not all, sorry, it's not all negative about adoption. Yeah, I know, of course And I, I know did that, meet yeah. my birth mother, yeah. and she has, oh, she only died in the last two years, yeah. and I actually called my daughter after, okay. as a mark nice. of respect. Lovely. But, um, again... It's not all negative, and yeah. I, I, I'm in touch with my half brother, who I dearly love, and I've, I've another family now. Yeah. You know, yeah, but, but again, I, I, again, I don't know why there's a cut-off point, and I think they have this and feeling f- that and six Margaret, do, older, do what do they know? Do you take um, do you take Sharon's point and Paul's point as well? It's not the money at this stage; it's just a hurt. No, oh, I couldn't care less about yeah, the money. Yeah. It's the acknowledgement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, you can't just blame the church. You have to blame the state. You have to blame the families. Yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't just the church. The church had an awful lot to do with the guilt we're ridden with, even still. But but it's it's not all about the church. It's about the state and the families. And the state were only too happy to pass over all the responsibility to the church. I do know. And will we ever fully understand how... The aspirations of the men and women of 1916 
for a country where everyone will be treated equally and equal opportunity. You know, I, I don't turned to into, be honest, Joe, that's into very a, romantic. I know, but turned, into a, turned into a Catholic, such a Catholic state. A theocracy. Yeah, again, oh yeah, I know, but there again, I mean, half of us wouldn't be educated without the Catholic that's Church true, and yeah. I'm making no, yeah, I'm making yeah, no um, apologies toward them. So it was a coincidence, but, a coincidence of interest, so to speak. The state I would, look, yeah. it, was, it was handy for the state to hand it all over. And mm. again, men were never, and I, I'm, not an, I'm not a feminist or anti-man or anything. I have a beautiful son and lovely husband. But um, again, it, it, the poor women were blamed for everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I remember in school, uh, don't tempt them. And if you're going to sit in a boy's lap, put a phone book between you. Well, for God's sake. And I'm only 70 years of age, Joe. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I know, know. I, I know. But when you think, I didn't even know what they were talking about. Yeah. They nearly put ideas into your head. Yeah. It's useless to say they, they have all, the, the records they have were given to them by the original institutions. They can't stand over the records, but they will. Uh, any any records relating to any person requesting their information are released, are released in fall, which is what Paul was saying earlier on. Paul O'Sullivan, uh, thank you once again. Uh, I did at the start for raising this really important issue. Uh, Paul, yeah. Sharon, uh, Miriam, Margaret, and the other callers. Back to we'll definitely be going back to this later. Joe at RT.E. five one double five one text. Talk to Joe on oh eight one eight seven one five eight one five. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Apprentices and apprenticeships and what's going on uh, on the ground from people who are directly involved. Pat O'Connor, Pat, good afternoon. How are you? How you are went you? into your fourth year in December. What's what's your situation at the minute? Where, uh, should, well, like, where should you be? Uh, I should be aiming for around phase six now. If I've, I've, I'm in a similar position to Michael that was on yesterday. And what um, phase are you in? Are you stuck in? I'm in phase three. I'm stuck in phase three at the moment. How long have you been waiting to get into phase uh, four? So uh, I'm waiting about 18 months now, I suppose. Oh, probably from when sake. I came out of phase two. And it's supposed to be six months. So, uh, You're waiting well 18 over. months. You, you have to go back on the job. You're told you yep. can, uh, I haven't got the timings in front of me. How long do you have to do when you're back on the job after phase three? Uh, six months. Is six months. And then when six months, you run into, you're supposed to be in phase four. And you've been waiting a year and a half. Yes, yeah, correct. Yeah. And what yeah. have you been promised? Uh, well, promised uh, last September we were told that uh, uh, if the measures were being put in place to get us qualified on time, which would mean I'd be qualified in December, but... Uh, we're yet to see any of those measures be put in place yet. Yeah. And what are you told when you when you um, say what's the delay? Uh, a lot of the time our emails aren't answered. But well, we were told originally that it was because of COVID. But I suppose COVID happened nearly four years ago now, and we're out well, of it for about first, two and a half years. Well, the first so. case of COVID that we had been doing it before this day. Uh, four years ago, which is the, the, the last time this date appeared, so to speak, was four years ago. Though we had been doing uh, calls from Wuhan, Irish people in Wuhan before that. But today, four years ago, February 29th, was the first confirmed uh, COVID case in Ireland. Yeah. So that was, and then yeah. by you know what happened in the next uh, two yeah. weeks and the announcement before Patrick said that everyone was, everything was gone uh, belly up. Uh, Pat, yeah. what, like, what's your, what's your, I, I see here you say I went to university. Yeah, yeah. And correct, what did you yeah. study uh, there? That's kind of why I did a management course in university, but that's why 
And so I know you'd really uh, apprenticeships are gone because universities seem to get their house in order immediately and so did ITs but fellas haven't managed to do that with apprenticeships and it's, the apprentices are suffering. So you result. you have a construction management degree, am I correct? Yeah. yeah and you correct. and you're gonna yeah. you're gonna add a trade to that. Yeah, well that's the plan, yeah. yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> Fantastic. Unfortunately, it's not materialising the way I wanted it to, uh, but it's it's out of my control. Unfortunately. And can I ask you, Pat, what, uh, what way are you, money-wise? Money-wise, I'm fine because my uh, no, my my employers were good enough yeah. to, to keep me onto the fourth-year race. But unfortunately, when I go back to Sullivan now, when I get called, uh, I I'll drop to the phase three rate, even though I'm I'm further along in my apprenticeship. Yeah, than because yeah. of Sullivan, you're paying. And then I was talking to some apprentices. Outside the program, and they were telling me some employers. No, they seem to indicate a lot of employers, but I don't know. Um, they were saying that um, a lot of employers would throw in. Okay, they're they're set rates, but they might throw yeah. in your travel money. They might say to you, yes, "There's sixty correct. quid yeah, a week to yeah. help you get no, in," and out, which in, is great. From the employer point of view, they've held up their end of the bargain. Like they they do everything right. Employers from the best part, but it's. It's just down to Solace and the ETBs. They're the ones that are failing the apprentices. Yeah. Essentially, it's all in their hands. That's why apprentices. Well, Solace say down. the gridlock yeah. is in is in stage two, but it's not from what we're hearing. No, no, it's it's throat. It's throat. Yeah. And again, we extend the invitation to Solace to come on. There, we, we can come on the next week. You can have to write a reply whenever you want. But the statements statements are just uh, inanimate statements. I I can't argue the ins and outs of nuances of what they mean. But but the, they say that hold up is in phase two, and we're hearing no. the hold up is in phase four. Terry, good afternoon, Terry. Hi, Joe. How are you, Terry? You're a retired builder, but um, Sullivan's are looking for instructors, which is critical if we to get if we were to get the likes of Michael yesterday and uh, Pat today into phase four, you looked at the the job application to become a trainer in Sullis. What's wrong with it? It's way, way, way too technical. It's actually more like a, an administrator than an actual instructor. It's just, you said it there yourself earlier on. They're looking for you to design a course, run a course, manage a course, be responsible for the budget on a course, be responsible for the people, yeah. work 25 hours a week. And, they, and, and and you will be required to work after hours as well, with no remuneration. And by the way, what? more money driving than a bus, Joe. And exactly. And what, what does what does Solace do? Solace actually are looking to recruit trainers at the moment. In yeah. earnest, they are looking to recruit them. Yeah. The, the criteria that they're looking for, it's just ridiculous. I mean, if you were going to go to Australia tomorrow... There's a, there's a, a, a form that's there that says that you can actually travel to Australia if you have on-site credentials or work experience. You don't necessarily need a trade. Okay. You can actually travel to Australia if you can prove that you've had on-site experience. And there has to be some way that employers can sign off on experience rather than technical knowledge from the college. Because, yeah. you know, if they're coming out of college and they have the technical skills, their practical, practical skills are very, very lacking. Well, given, and the, the starting money in Sullis is, um, what, 40? 40, 40,000, yeah. You'd make more money driving a bus, Joe, and you wouldn't have all that responsibility. And this, just the list, the list of, this is for a phase two instructor. Um, instructor apprentice is all aspects of apprenticeship program, practical skills, personal skills, math, science, drawing, related knowledge, 
prepare and provide lesson plans, course notes and handouts as appropriate. Schedule, conduct, correct, mark, assessments, tests in accordance with the relevant assessment, pro carry out associated minutes of tasks, prepare and issue progress reports to the employer for their apprentice, supervise apprentices, ensure that the correct workplace practice methods, quality standards and safety procedures are followed. Supervise, Terry, are you ready for this? Supervise apprentices on their timekeeping attendance, their behaviour, Terry and general application to the course. Raise requests. Well, what does that mean? Raise requests for the purchase and supply of course materials. Surely they're supplied anyway. And non-capital tools and equipment and manage usage as appropriate. And then, Terry, if that's not enough, they throw one big, one big fishing net off, this, off a super trawler in at the end. They say, perform any other duties deemed necessary. And are required in keeping with the requirements of the instructor role. Ah, come on, Terry. Don't shy away from those responsibilities. It sounds like a wish list to me. <laughs> not a, not a list. It sounds like a mixture uh, of Einstein, the genius, Brunel, the engineer, uh, Whitaker, the economist, um, and <laughs> who else? Uh, Terry Prone, the man, the the person management. What what a what a CV you would need. What a person to get a job, starting and to to leave a job, which I suspect Terry would be on a building site, uh, and and doing doing a job. If you had any of those qualifications, I think you'd be paid a lot more than forty k. Would that be fair, to begin with? Apprentices that stick it out and stick and stick to yeah. their guns are going to be making more money than doctors and surgeons in the next couple of years. Yeah, because of course. There are no people. Okay, stay there, Terry. You want you want a speakerphone? I have to be, unfortunately. I have, have to be. I'm kind of deaf. Okay, stay stay with us. I'll take the break, and more people want to come in. This Joe at rt.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Vicky, it's your son uh, you're talking about. Go ahead, Vicky. Hi, hi, Joe. How Good, are you thanks. doing? Um, yeah, I'm kind of coming from a different angle. Say. Yeah. So my son is a qualified apprentice, has been for the last four years. And what's his trade? So, um, carpentry. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, so so he's, he's done it for you. He did construction in school. So, and did really well and did even start with that but so my point is if he wanted to go the teaching route yeah. then maybe not so if I think if he wanted to do like actual um, secondary teaching he would need to do start now a four year full time oh, um, wow. course in the, either Limerick or Letterfrack in Galway and so I, I don't really understand there's such a shortage of yeah. the teachers now for the practical subjects and we're hearing every day about that and yet you, you may have a small percentage of people who have the trades that may want to go the teaching route but what I can't understand I've talked to a few people about it but I can't seem to get to you know nobody seems to have any answers it's like this is the way it is and this is the way it's going to be but say on the other side you could have a young student leaving at junior cert or leaving cert never having done construction studies and they go the four year route to Letterfrack or Limerick so it's like there's no credit allowed very good point very good point and experience and I don't know, I mean, nobody, I'm not um, suggesting that anybody who is a qualified um, carpenter could go directly into teaching. But, I mean, there could be some, if it was just looked at maybe a possible entrance exam or, a, you know, a suitability study before they go in that route and maybe a lesser than four years, even two years. 
you know, and that, yeah. that's really that's yeah. really my point. Because, because if you study if you study English in in third level and you want to become a second a secondary school teacher, you do a year, another year that's called a H dip. I presume it's the same. I think it might be two years now. Two years, just, okay. But you're years. saying if you yeah. if you're a qualified if you become a qualified carpenter to teach yeah. anything related to that, you have to do a further four years. Four years, yeah, yeah, four years full time. So that's eight class. years. Or yeah, yeah. So I don't know whether, you know, it's the, like I would imagine if somebody is a, is a, is a qualified and, you know, good carpenter, knows what mm-hmm. he's doing, has, is working on a daily basis, has completed the theory and the practical over the four-year period mm. and working on a daily basis, how would they have to have, how would they have to do the same as somebody who never studied construction and is starting off on the four-year course? Okay. I think, and I don't know whether it's, I think it's because level, an apprentice is level six and maybe that's something that needs to be looked at. That if you do level seven, I think you can just do two years. Then I'm not sure about all the details, but, okay, but my is point a, is, I suppose well, we know yeah, there we know the there is a log jam, and we're told the log jam now yeah. is at, at phase phase four. But there are other aspects to it as you're highlighting as well. Yeah, uh, Vicky, yeah. thanks. I'm just interested if somebody would have you know maybe yeah. some input into that or some you know other aspect of it. You know, okay. okay. Okay, thanks indeed, Vicky. Gerard Wynn uh, from Gerard Wynn Electrical. Gerard, your observations, please. You would have apprentices, wouldn't you, Gerard? Uh, we would, we would, Joe. I have one currently at the moment. We just Great. started the young chap there last month, the first year apprentice. Great. But um, yeah, as regards the, the the waiting time and 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 the payment and uh, and, and and that scenario is, the most good employers will take on an apprentice, and he'd be paid at the first year rate of nine euros an hour it's give or take a few cent 12 euros an hour second year 17 euros an hour third year and 21 euros an hour fourth year mm-hmm. now with the hold-ups with going to Grange Gorman and to the Solace the Foss for, the, in, for the, in, the in-house training yeah for the in-house training for phases two four and six there are employers who maintain the apprentices on the first year rate until such a time as they can get them into those which isn't very fair on the old themselves because I mean the first year rate is a take home of 360 euros you had a lady on whose son yesterday was actually even getting 80 euros a week less than that he was getting 278 euros per week as a first year apprentice which wasn't on anyway but what we would do and what most good employers would do is they have a, a lad for four years they'll pay him his first year rate when he's finished his 12 months irrespective of he's sent to in-house training he will go on to his second year he'll go on to his third year so say for example all the all the technical college stuff backlogs up which until which he's in it his is, third yeah. year yeah, yeah. until he's in his third year or fourth year which is what's happening my own son had to do six years with the COVID with the, with yeah, the COVID yeah. thing on Jack. But what, what most decent employers would do, would they would pay the apprentice electricians, they would pay them the commensurate rate as the time had been okay. served. Okay. So what would happen there is they, what would happen is that the apprentices would remain on the fourth year rate, probably for two and a half to three years okay. until they've, they've washed themselves out of the system, so to speak, with the colleges. Okay. But the the onus that's fair enough on the employers and the good employers are doing that so the lads aren't 
they're not being left short of money as of no through no fault of their own. But what the colleges should be doing and what Solis should be doing is they should be making up the difference in conjunction and consulting the employers as to the progress of the apprentice in determining the rate of pay um, that he gets when he goes into, as yeah. that lady said, into phase three. But when he goes, still, if he eventually gets into phase three or indeed phase four in college after, as yeah. we heard there earlier, an 18 month delay, two year delay in some cases, does the money drop again? It would stay because he would have been deemed like phase two. So, so if say, for example, after doing your initial work experience, you go into phase two in, in, in college. But you could be waiting two years to get into phase two, sorry, in Solace. OK, mm-hmm. so you should be really being paid as a second year and your employer could have been paying you here well, as a second year. But when you go into Solace, you'll be dropped straight back down onto the first year rate. And Jared, have you ever, you, you've been a good while in the business. I recognise the name, the reputable well, we company. Did the, we did, the, we did the, 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 the shed for you, Kathleen, remember, in Walkenstown. Oh, well done, well done, well and, done. And the James Carey, that was where it did. Oh, yeah, great. Um, yeah. Ger- Gerard, um, would you ever think of becoming, do you know anyone who think of becoming an instructor in uh, well, not really. I mean, I'm an electrical contractor. Um, I did tie it over about 30 years ago before I, I, I set up my own, but I, was just, I just went in that direction. It would be, I suppose, be difficult now because I've been out of the education system myself. Well, you, Einstein himself. If he, if his, if his, uh, if his father was Brunel and he had a inge- his engineering skills, and his mother was Madame Pasteur and he he had her clinical skills, I don't think would still fulfil the criteria that some of have laid and down. It used to be very. It was a very popular during the nineteen eighties. Like I started in nineteen eighty two. Now during the nineteen eighties, when there was recessions here, one after the other, those jobs were very well sought after in the technical colleges. There was queues of. Electricians yeah, and carpenters yeah, queuing, yeah. queuing up, uh, queuing up to be uh, college teachers, as it were. And I remember the hill, Anko, as it was then. Jared, you remember them as well. Anko on the hill in Ballyfermot, Chapel Lizard. That's Lizardo. right. That, that was that, that was, was booming, <laughs> booming. That was one of the first centres built. That was built in 1980, yeah. I think. And that yeah. that had highly quali- that had highly qualified and highly in demand. I know the most intelligent chap in, in my sixth year leaving Sir class in Body Firm it was a chap called Dominic Maguire and where did he end up working as an instructor a brilliant instructor was in that anchor course and he was brilliant at his yeah, job that's how, that's a how, friend that's of mine how, who served his time with me is actually the manager of that training centre yeah, yeah. Declan Hannigan. Yeah, he served as a apprenticeship with me. Um, he's the assistant manager of the manager of that centre now. But So they were highly sought after yeah. jobs in the 1980s. And in the, so with, what's with happened? Jared? what's happened? What's happened? They're apprentices. Well, the, what's they're, happened? They're, they're, at the at the moment at the moment there isn't enough apprentices going into the system. That's Even though the government they've sort of they've sent me in me another state. Yeah, I mean, sort of said it's never been as high. It hasn't been it, as high it, in recent it, years. It, it, I don't know what the benchmark it, is, but yeah, and it just harks back to two thousand and eight. Whereby I we found it extremely hard to get apprentices and ever and all oh. of the contracts contractors on the. Where were they all going in two oh eight? Don't tell me into the banks. Well. But, but, 
a lot of them were a lot a, a lot of them were emigrating, and the ones who were half served their time and had served their time emigrated, and their younger brothers and sisters weren't encouraged to go into the trades whatsoever. Yeah. They were all forced into third level education, and some of them may not have been suited for yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, it was only on, it was yesterday. It was only there were seven thousand students that dropped out after yeah, the end yeah. of first year. Uh, on the university courses last year, but that that was the problem. But historically, that was never a problem because a lot of families had to put a a, a, a boy through an apprenticeship, yeah. so as to bring in some hard-earned yeah, money yeah, into their yeah. houses. And and ordinarily, which is the paradox of it, ordinarily a lot of those boys who went into apprenticeships should have been really the people who were who should have gone mm. on to college and university at the time, but they didn't. They were brought out of school at 15 after junior cert or group cert at 14 and, uh, and, they, uh, and they started serving their time. The age profile now has rocketed. There's 30-year-old and 40-year-old apprentices brilliant, now. Brilliant. They've got wives and families and mortgages to pay. So that messing with the first year rate, second year rate, third year rate and the colleges, that has to be addressed because you're not going to, it's hard enough to get guys to come in to, and, and girls to come into the trade mm. but if you're going to start playing and messing with, 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 the, with their payments and that the outgoings they have um, especially with the age profile now, I was only down in Boston Baldoyle, I was just um, I, I was having a chat with one of the, one of the um, district organisers there, there last year mm-hmm. and I was in one of the classes and the, they would, a lot of the students are in their tw- late 20s and late 30s. If you fast fast forward that or fast rewind that back to 1982, I started in um, in Jervis Street, in Anko in Jervis Street. It's now Leprechaun Museum. You're probably aware of that. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. There were 12 people in the class. Um, myself and another chap, Michael Condon, were the oldest in the class. We were 17 years of age. Wow. We had the leaving certs. Uh, okay. Another eight had the junior cert, they were 15, and two lads were 14 years of age, they had the group search, which I think was done after that, second yeah, year yeah, in second the second year in tech, yeah. Well, we, what yeah. we need, I think, is someone like, you know, Tony Blair's son, Ewan Blair, well, he's well into his 30s now, he set up a company in the, uh, began as a, an apprenticeship matching called White Hat, White Hat, and he rebranded it then to Multiverse a few years ago, and his whole uh, evangelical uh, campaign wants to get try and get more people to go into apprenticeships, and it definitely has impacted in the UK. Maybe we need a Ewan Blair here. Back after this break. Thanks, Jared. Joe at RT.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Chris Finity, your point, please. I'm moving on. Go ahead, Chris, about apprenticeships. Yes, well, my point was, which I heard there this morning, uh, Simon Harris, Minister for Higher Education, has found funding to uh, send uh, medical students up in order to get qualified. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, uh, we have a huge amount of apprentices at the moment, as you've been highlighting for the last day or two, struggling to finish their courses. Yeah. What can be done? Uh, also, uh, where I'm coming from is the rate of pay that the first-year and second-year apprentices paid. It's absolutely deplorable. Uh, nothing wrong with people working in supermarkets and yeah, fish yeah. and chip shops and everything. Everyone and anyone else is getting paid more than the apprentice. And are you saying, Chris, just to come back to the Simon Harris over the border stuff from medics, are you yeah. saying we should look to the UK and say, uh, is, there anyone, is there any way we can start sending apprenticeships for phase 
three, four, four seems to be the gridlock uh, for yeah, 12, well, well, 12 weeks yeah. of the go. Just to explain that, the qualifications that the Irish apprentice qualifies with is uh, accepted in England, accepted across Europe, and it's also accepted in Australia. But yet now, it's not accepted in America, which I came across Mm -hmm. with uh, one of my sons the time he went to America. Basically, he was told that uh, he would have to do three years uh, to uh, requalify, but it is. But the but the the key is, it is acceptable in the UK, and if it's acceptable in the UK, that means just as with the with the medical uh, schools, we could ask uh, to try and find places in the UK to break this uh, backlog and jam jam that's there at the minute. Martin McDonald, stay there, stay there, Chris, stay there, Chris. Martin, your point, please. Yeah, sorry, Joe. I just heard uh, your comment yesterday regarding the first year wage. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought 285 was a decent wage for a young lad coming out of school uh, for his first year compared to the likes of people on disability benefits and that disability pensions. They're on 208 euro a week. Yeah, but I don't see... I don't, uh, yeah, we're not comparing it no, out to disability. Disability, I, I is, un, disability is unfair. We've covered that so yeah, many so, times. So at 285 euro, and let's say mm-hmm. I have five children myself, none of them served their time, but I would have served my time back back in the 80s and I think okay. I started on 25% of the uh, of, of the wage of the full, fully qualified person uh, I mean a, a young lad coming out of school the option is going into a trade or going to college if they're going to college they wouldn't be earning anything well, you can get a you can uh, get a you, you can get a grant when you're in college. A lot of a lot of well, well any of my children went to college. You didn't get. A grant I know that, but jobs. I know, I know, Mark. They got and jobs, and the job the job they got was seven fifty an hour. Okay. Was the pay? And Chris, what do you well, well, yeah, I know, Chris, what do you think of Martin's point? Seven ninety is enough for them at that age. No, I think it's disgraceful. So I do. Uh, if you think of. The purchase of tools that has to happen, the purchase of PPE, uh, uh, clothing, yeah. uh, the travel. Boots. Some companies, yes, yeah, some companies travel uh, a race of uh, traveling, uh, traveling allowance, but not all companies. Um, and also, what I'm trying to get at the point is, I began in the late 60s, early 70s as an apprentice, and it was happening then, and that was Anko. And I have known through my children growing up, it happened in Foss and it happened in Stullock. So this okay. is really a historical problem that we have, not just uh, one that is happening okay. at uh, this period of time. And Stullock, by the way, say, uh, Terry, if Terry's point earlier that they had to buy their own, that they are not responsible for the actual procurement or supply of any materials or equipment. It facilitates um, that they don't have to buy it, but they have to order it and the correct spec and timely delivery and all to to help everything. OK, Chris and Martin, good to meet them all. Good. Shane Herbert, back to uh, to uh, the first caller, Paul O'Sullivan, that powerful point you made. Shane, what's your situation on the redress scheme, which is coming in uh, this month, beginning tomorrow? 20 days hence. Go ahead, Shane. Hiya, Joe. Um, yeah. Thanks for the, taking the call. Yeah. Um, our, our, our mother, Bridget, passed away on St. Bridget's Day um, ah. just a few weeks ago. Ah, and um, she was 90 in January. She was a, a beautiful woman. And uh, we learned about five years ago that she was a survivor of the St. Patrick's mother and baby home. On the Navin um, Road, yeah. On the Navin Road. But happily for mum... She got to meet her son um, exactly four years ago from from the date of her funeral. Um, 
her son Brian was, was adopted okay. by a family in Ohio uh, in Youngstown in the States. And long story short, I guess his, his son tracked us down and um, literally about four or five weeks before the first lockdown, they got to, they got to meet. Um, they, he flew over with his wife and his son. So, and, and, a, and a beautiful connection um, and they had, you know, wow. it was the only visit they ever had um, yeah. uh, apart from their time together in, in St. Patrick's. But I suppose the two things I just wanted to say were, number mm-hmm. one, um, I don't think anyone should be excluded from the dress, redress scheme. Yeah. I, and I, I think the people designing it know that. So, uh, and I, I, you know, the money for us, we don't care about the money, yeah. but I think yeah. we feel a, a, an obligation to our mother yeah. to to see the process through to acknowledge that, that she was there. Yeah. And my brother in, in the States, he'll have to make his own decision on that and we'll help him, yeah. you know, if he wants to, to go for it. But the, the, the second point is, um, you know, and I don't think it'll affect him. I think he was there for two years. But the point is, nobody should be excluded. Yeah. But the second point I wanted to make was on shame. I think it was Miriam said earlier that that there'll be people out there who, who may still be carrying, you know, the shame mm-hmm. And all I wanted to say on that is, uh, at my mother's funeral, my, my brother-in-law delivered the eulogy beautifully. And in the eulogy, midway through, you know, referred and talked about mum's time at the mother and baby home. And there was a yeah. spontaneous round of applause. Yeah. Magnificent, magnificent. It, it was very moving for us. Yeah. Because mum was very, she was a lovely person. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, she was a single uh, mother in the 50s and, and I, I don't think that was an easy environment for her to be in uh, but you know the love and the, the, the far from shame these, these women should be proud they should be extremely proud of themselves uh, for what they had to endure and I defend their right to whatever they decide to do whether they decide to go for it or not is entirely on, on, on them but, but shame shouldn't be a factor they they they're, they're some of the most precious people we have in our country. Yeah. Pride, not shame. You said it, Shane. Absolutely. Pride, not shame. Say Pride there, Dr. Sarah Bourne has also contacted us. Sarah, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. This six-month exclusion rule for children in mother and baby homes, is there any uh, academic, professional research logic to it? That children under children who stayed in mother and baby homes for six months or less would not would not know about uh, about it and would not be affected by it, and therefore shouldn't get a lousy twelve thousand euro. Mother of God, five what's that? Two two euro five hundred quid a week for the six months. Go ahead, Sarah. There really is no basis for it, Joe. And indeed, um, myself and some colleagues prepared a statement to the Oireachtas Committee, which we gave at the time of the scheme being devised to actually highlight this point. So the actual offset is true, Joe. Indeed, the earlier the stage of trauma that occurs, the more long-lasting the impact of that trauma. And that is borne out by research in the area of trauma and, and child development. So not only is it not true, it actually goes in the face of the evidence around early trauma. Um, so we felt compelled as, as psychologists mm. and professionals in the area of trauma to give this information and advice to the government around the redress scheme that there is no basis for the exclusion criteria. And what happened to your, advi- your advice? Unfortunately, it was not taken into account in, in the revisions of the scheme. Were you given any reason? We weren't, unfortunately, Joe. And I suppose... Would you speculate? You know, really, Would you speculate on a reason? I, I suppose, Joe, I suppose what, what my sense of this has been is that the 
scheme is not grounded in research. I can't speculate mm. as to the reason for that, but um, it's not grounded in scientific evidence or research. And indeed, more than that, it is not based on appropriate human rights guidelines around what mm. this group of people who've been marginalised and excluded should be entitled to be exactly the same redress as anyone else who spent longer in those homes. Yeah. It's not the period of time that someone spends in the home that matters. It's the impact of that time. Yeah. And that is really clear from, from those of us that work. And as we say, now, well, we covered it at the time, Sarah, but I was conscious that it was on during lockdown, the debates, and the vote was. was 73 to 62. I somehow suspect if that vote was taken today, it would be a different outcome, given the the largesse that seems to be coming from the government in terms of money that's now available. Um, but anyway... Anyway, One would it's, hope it's not it's not guided by money, Joe, but I, I can't see another another reason yeah, for the scheme yeah. being devised the way it is, unfortunately. And remember what's echoing in my head and everyone's head, I hope, that's been listening an hour and fifteen minutes ago to Paul and Paul was saying who's excluded. Paul was saying it's not it's not about the money, it's not about a a brass farding or a red rex or whatever. It's about the fact that once again they they introduce what seems just to be an, an arbitrary exclusion zone for a specific group of people, and that exclusion zone was six months, and there's no logic to it apart from they reckon they save money, I presume, but even the amount saved is is compared to what seems to be sloshing around the government uh, coffers at the minute. Seems seems to be a bucket of water. Uh, Doctor Sarah Bourne, thanks indeed, thanks indeed uh, to our Shane as well, and uh, condolences on that wonderful, wonderful woman, your mother, who passed away on Saint Bridget's Day recently. Uh, God rest Bridget Herbert and all her family. Uh, best wishes to them. Back tomorrow, one forty-five. Tom Norton Sound. John Riley Research, Tara Lockley Grant producer, Ray Darcy, next. 0818 715 815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie.